And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to episode 71 of the Keith Law Show, presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards. I am Keith Law. I'm very excited for today's show. I will be joined by one of my favorite musical artists, Lauren Mayberry, the lead singer of Churches. That is Churches spelled with a V-C-H-V-R-C-H-E-S. They are now, as I speak, four days away from releasing their fourth album, Screen Violence. I have already heard it. It is excellent. It is one of my favorite albums of the year. That is not surprising. I've been a Churches fan for... Gosh, over eight years now since I first heard The Mother We Share on a playlist distributed by a publicity firm uh, that was actually before churches had even signed their first record deal with Glassnote, before The Bones of What You Believe was released in 2013. And that remains one of my favorite albums of the last 10 years. So very excited for that. Uh, I have, unfortunately, I have no new content at The Athletic to push from last week. Uh, we had a illness in the house, so I've had to take a little bit of time away. Should be back out there at some point this week. I've got plenty of players I'm still trying to see before the calendar runs out on me. In the meantime, please check out my uh, email newsletter if you have not already subscribed, tinyletter.com slash keithlaw. I also do have two books out, The Inside Game, Bad Calls, Strange Moves, and What Baseball Behavior Teaches Us About Ourselves came out in paperback earlier this year. And of course, Smart Baseball, my first book, came out in 2017. Both are now available in paperback. Anywhere fine books are sold. If you do not have an independent bookstore near you, I recommend bookshop.org. It is where I I try to do most of my book purchasing, uh, since there are unfortunately not many independent bookstores out here in the Philadelphia suburbs where I live. Now it is my great honor to be joined by Lauren Mayberry, the lead singer of the trio Churches, that's spelled with a V-C-H-V-R-C-H-E-S. Their fourth album, Screen Violence, comes out on August 27th, and they will be touring this fall. They'll come to the United States starting in November. They'll be here in Philadelphia at the Fillmore, I believe, December 3rd. I will certainly be there. You can find Churches on Twitter at Churches, spelled with the V, and Lauren herself at Lauren Eve May. Lauren, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you very much for, for having me. That was such a thorough thorough opening. I've, I don't even remember half those things, so <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much for doing it for me. You're welcome. Um, so let's start with the new album. I've heard it. My first impression from listening to Screen Violence, other than that I liked it, is that it's a new voice for you. The lyrics felt like they were far more personal to you. There are a lot of songs, not every song, but there are songs where you're more indignant or more outraged about whether it's personal relationship or, th- or things going on in the world. Do you, do you think that's a fair characterization? It's just my interpretation. And if that's true, what led into you shifting the tone of your lyrics that way? I think they do. They feel more personal insofar as 
I think I was being less deliberately vague on things. Like I always feel like all Torture songs have been written with some kind of personal feeling as the seed or the starting point. But I think I used to have more of a an idea of the kind of performance you should put on for the kind of band we're in, sort of. So like a song like The Mother We Share is a very personal and sad and wistful song with hopeful whatever but it's hard to tell what that means because we've deliberately kind of packaged it in this very like surrealist ethereal electro pop space and I don't think Mm -hmm. we did that on this record um for me I think it was I went into it because we had the album title beforehand and I went in thinking it was going to be more of a pure concept we wanted it to I think in my mind I was like I don't want to write about me anymore I don't really want to be me anymore. I just want to write <laughs> concept songs and then I, I'll get to do my job and then no, I won't bother anybody. I'll get to do what I love to do and nobody will pick it apart. And then about three songs into it, I was like, you'd lie. You lie to yourself. <laughs> you lie. So, But then it was fun to be able to tell these stories set against the kind of landscape of horror and cinema and those kinds of things. And I guess it was also like, this sounds this sounds very cheesy and like I've been waggling around crystals or something, but I think it was about like giving giving myself permission to try something new or giving myself permission to ex- explore because I think at this point we've been in this band for 10 years. So last year especially there was so much time to reflect and take stock of what had happened. And I think it was a moment where I was like, okay, you have to accept that you technically are a writer for a living. I know that you think this is going to go away any minute, but that is what's happening. So you should allow yourself, push yourself to try different things. And I guess I've always been a huge, huge lover of singer songwriter, that kind of confessional style of lyrics. And also, you know, singers like Nick Cave and Jenny Lewis who write those really personal songs, but in these more escapist narratives and I think I was like I'm going to try that if it's terrible then I'm sure the guys will tell me but at the end of it I think we got a much more like coherent record like it feels like we're not really trying to put mist across the front of the the scene so you can see what's there and yeah I think it was I enjoyed it I think I might keep doing it (laughs) (laughs) so a lot of the Lyrics reminded me too. You, uh, an editorial you wrote back in 2013 in The Guardian titled, mm-hmm. I Will Not Accept Online Misogyny, which I recommend everyone go check out. I checked, it's still online. It's still great. It still rings very true. Uh, and I still think about that piece quite a bit, actually. Mm-hmm. You wrote, uh, My hopes are that if anything good comes out of this, it will start a conversation. Do you think that conversation has happened? Has it gotten better, worse? You're still active online. Um, but I, that may be because the job requires you to be as it is from my job too. I think Twitter's mm. a cesspool, but <laughs> I have to be on there. Yes. Yes. Um, I don't know. It's interesting because at this point, I'm, I'm like 33, going to be 34 at the end of this year. So, and I was, it was 10 years ago when we started the band. So I look back on the, the early time period of the band and I just, I, I'm kind of shocked by how, like not shocked, but saddened by all the pushback I remember getting around that time and a fan sent me recently this like google talk thing that we did 
around the same time. And it's like somebody from Google, who's a very nice man, interviewing mm-hmm. us about what had been happening around the band and then taking questions from staff at Google. Mm-hmm. And I, the, the clip that they sent me, I watched it and I was like, 33-year-old me would lamp that guy in the face. <laughs> <laughs> because like they, they'd sat and listened and this poor, mm-hmm. like I look at that and I'm like oh man you're on a lot of like mood <laughs> mood stabilizing medication to deal with this stuff and I just looked at that I was like I look like who's this small sad tired person is how I mm-hmm. saw it. and I was like I feel really bad for that girl like I look at that and I'm like you're a kid really you you've been and there's so many amazing things happen around the band, but I look at that time and I'm like, I had no idea what I was doing. And if I was me now or anybody and I saw that girl, I think I would have treated her with more empathy. than. And this guy gets up and is like, essentially what you're saying is that you want somebody on, like an emotional bodyguard to go along with social media. Is that not what you're saying? And I'm like, it's not, no, <laughs> that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, but that's always what it comes down to is people around that time, especially it was people saying, oh, well, you just, your feelings are too easily hurt. You're too sensitive. And I'm like, yes, I suppose there's a layer of like, no one likes to hear terrible things about themselves or have people tell you what a piece of shit you are all the time. But it's not, it's not about that. I was like, no, it's actually about the, the graphic pornography and the th- threats of death, rape, and violence, it, to be honest. I don't think that's an emotional bodyguard, bro. And you work for Google, so you fix it. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, I don't think, I think that in the last couple of years, the kinds of questions we've been asked are slightly different, but I don't really necessarily feel that the motivation has changed. Like, people know. I should ask a question, something around me too, so I don't look like an asshole. It's not. And then, you know, people ask those questions and they move on. They don't Mm. sit, they don't think they realize or sit with the weight of any of that. And I guess this record is interesting for me because so much of the conversation around the band has always been about gender, feminism, Mm -hmm. violence, the internet. And people are always asking me, what do we do? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. I'm one person. (laughs) That's not your job. But we've never written about any of those things. So Mm. a majority of my life and career in this band has been being asked. I go to, nobody ever asked about the lyrics. Nobody really asks about the music, really. Like every so often. But they, like Ian and Doc get to talk about that or they get to sit in silence while I get asked about those things. So, but this, I feel like it's the first record where we're not writing about internet trolls. That's my fear is that's what the clickbait will become. But, um, for me, whenever those things are written about about me or or any any women, it's always the kind of secondhand obsession with violence. Like they write about the in, the the incident with this kind of frothy ex- excitement, and they make it more about the people that are doing it. They make it more about the men than they make it about the person. They don't ask why, and they don't ask what happens after. And I guess for me, the, the record is this is what it's like to to process those things out. And I don't think you need to be in a band to or somebody in entertainment to have experienced that, because I think all people know that to a degree, especially women. So mm-hmm. and if you've ever had any kind of uh, anxiety or panic attacks or any of those kinds of things there will be things in the record for you as well sir <laughs> yes oh absolutely i'm <sighs> i'm glad to hear that because that's what i that's just what i got out of the initial listens to mm. the record too everything you just described and to say people are going to tab it as a feminist record and your you know your views are i'm all right with that. and that's right <laughs> 
But I think it's more than just that. And there's more that I hope at least that people are able to take more out of it. I just think you know, your perspective is, I'm glad you said it, that you're smaller. As we say in this house, we say we're fun-sized. <laughs> um, we're, we're, we're all very small people. And that is it that people, I my experience in life, older than you and you know, different career path, but it's often hard to get people to take you more seriously when yes. you look like that. And then on top of that, you have being a woman where people probably just take you less seriously. And I felt like some of that also is coming out in, in, that's come out in a lot of your music, but it's strong. Your voice is stronger in this record. And it is a listen to us, listen to the actual lyrics, which I hope people do more so on this album. And I, I, again, I'm sort of asking, is this what, is this sort of where you were going lyrically on this record? Um, I don't even know if it was a conscious choice. I think it just started to happen. And I think there's always been the, the kind of, idealized version of me that I write so I feel like mm. when we've written those songs that have been more strident about certain things I don't actually feel like that in my personal life like <laughs> I <laughs> I try to do those things but otherwise there wouldn't be so many churches songs about taking shit in relationships if I did do that <laughs> um but yeah I feel like there's always been the two sides there's that side which is like bury it leave a trace that kind mm. of universe and then there's all the other stuff which is the more internalized version and i feel like the new record is a mixture of those two things and it's almost like the the blonde scream queen performance persona is one part mm. of the writing and then the more introspective stuff is the other side and yeah i mean when i saw that video of me as like 24 25 i was just like i look at that now and i'm like i don't know how you couldn't how you could want to give that person a kicking. Not because it's me necessarily, but I'm just looking at that. I'm like, you're on the cusp of teary eyes for most of it. You've got a wobbly lip. You're staring at the floor. You don't really want to look at anybody. You're just like, I don't know, man. And then answering the questions. And then it's odd to me that I'm like, this pissed people off that much. (laughs) I'm like, but, you know, I guess that's time and age and experience. And I think at 24, I knew what I thought was right and wrong. And at like 33, 34, it's like 10 more years living in that experience. You really hit your fuck that factor on certain things. (laughs) You know, I'm sure that everybody feels like that. There's things that just sometimes I'm like, I guess that's why it's written down. I'm like, I feel like I feel like I lose in my mind when people ask me these things over and over again. I'm like, I can't don't understand why this is so difficult. But, you know, that's just that's life, I guess. Yes. That's the world we live in. Yeah. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. So since the last record, you did have one new song, Death Stranding, which mm. I love. Absolutely think it's one of your favorites. Uh, my wife and I had it on our 
lengthier wedding playlist because we just love the beat. We love the texture of the music. The chorus is the the strong build up to the soaring chorus. I I, I mean, maybe this is too obvious a question, but you wrote for a video game, which to me, as to my generation, video games don't have soundtracks. What are you talking about? But was this a song you'd already written? Was this something you wrote specifically for that video game? Because to me, it doesn't, it doesn't sound like the typical soundtrack song. It's just, here's something we didn't make the last album. It's too good to have just been a B-side or something that was left on the cutting room floor. Yes, this one we did write specifically for that game. Um, And Ian and Martin from the band are huge gamers. They've really invested in that community since they were much younger. And Mm. um, yeah, the man who made Death Stranding Hideo Kojima is iconic in the games world and they played mm-hmm. so many of his games and we didn't realize that he was a fan of the band until he like he tweeted about us one day and like <laughs> everything erupted on the internet we're like what's going on <laughs> I don't understand and then yeah so we'd kind of gotten in touch with him a little through that and then he asked if we would write a song for the the credits of the game and yeah I always find pitch like I suppose that's a pitch job to a degree and we've done a few of those but this one was definitely the the most creatively satisfying because literally we went to their the Kojima Productions office in Tokyo when you were still allowed to travel. And it, it was insane because the amount of artistry that goes into making something like that like is just blows my mind. But we got to sit down and watch like a selection, an edit of the game that he had done to show us what the story was. And the whole premise of the game is that it's about it's kind of a it's a post-apocalyptic universe where the only way you can survive is to try and find empathy and kindness and uh it's like how do you not be disillusioned with people <laughs> in the state of the world <laughs> do you feel like you can write on that and i was like yes yes i can <laughs> i think i can yes so yeah but it's what like glad that's very nice that you put it on your wedding playlist it's not that it's not not depressing <laughs> no, it's actually is right. Yeah, absolutely. Technically, uh, the some... chorus is about love, and it's about staying yeah. together till the end. I suppose. <laughs> I, I have a feeling people would look at our wedding playlist and say, "There's some odd choices on there." Ah, uh, but it's nice if it's songs that songs that mean something to you, rather than telling the outside world something. I feel like that's nice. Yes. We had a lot of songs that we just had sort of bonded over and we, when we first got together a couple of years ago, the melding of our musical tastes and histories and here's my years of Spotify playlists. Oh, her years of Apple Music playlists and figuring out not just where we overlapped, which is always interesting, but songs that we introduced to She wasn't familiar with churches. So well, thank you for she, your service. <laughs> yes, there you go. Yeah. And um, she has taken me to multiple fish concerts now. She's a huge oh, fish fan. Yes, Americans love fish. Experience. They do. Yeah. They do. It's an experience. <laughs> I don't know that it's I could great. really say I'm a fish fan because I'm not as obsessive, but going to the concerts is absolutely an experience in and of itself, mm. just beyond the music. Yes. I feel like Britain doesn't really dabble in the, not the Fisher Jam Band. I'm sure that people wouldn't like that description, but I have noticed <laughs> that, yes, like most of my American friends, Into Fish, Into the Grateful Dead. I make yes. a lot of excuses for John Mayer because of his association with Grateful Dead, which is something yeah. that as a British person, I don't understand. And like, yeah. but I don't, why are we, what? Like, I don't, <laughs> that's not very nice. But, uh, you know, it's just, it's not for me. It passes me by. I don't enjoy much of his commentary on the female gender or on much, 
<laughs> but when people are like, he's in the dead, man. And I'm like, oh, no doubt. He's very good at guitar. No doubt. Sure. Yes. <laughs> not yeah. for me, as they say. Happy for you, yep. not for me. <laughs> yes, absolutely understand that. Mm. Um, so could you see yourself doing something beyond churches? Because churches has its sort of, I, you know, you described as electro pop. I've seen people try to categorize your music and no one seems to agree on the term i because of my age i hear a lot of new wave influences which is great right to me the formative years were you know duran duran and human league and heaven 17 all that stuff from the early all the good 80s. stuff yes I mean, that's just <laughs> what i was listening to constantly um and it's funny my wife's a little younger than me and she thinks it's very date sounds more dated because that was just not what she mostly grew up listening to but could you see yourself not breaking up churches, but just doing something as outside of that musical milieu, doing something as a different style of music, or does this sort of certain or maybe just more suit your personal tastes in music too? I feel like this record has been important for us kind of deciding we're allowed to do whatever we wanted. Like, I think mm -hmm. there's so much guitar on this record. Some of it, like I saw the first reviews are coming in. I'm trying not to see them, to be honest. Our, our manager <laughs> texted us one the other day and it says like electronic pop, new wave, goth, industrial, British dance and post-rock in the one review. And I was like, yeah, that tracks, I guess. Good job. So yeah. I was like, yeah, well, I think it's about get, like giving yourself license to do those things. And on previous records, we would have been like, oh, better take that guitar part and put it on a synth, better take this and take that. And we've been working on new music and stuff and just, I don't know. I think this album has been really good for us to just wipe the slate, if that makes sense. Because I feel like mm -hmm. when churches started, not that we were the only ones or the first ones by any stretch, but, you know, we were kind of at the for forefront of re re reviving a genre that is now very popular, if I may be so bold as to say. I, I absolutely agree. <laughs> but well, you distilled it too. Mm. Like it was very clear to me, at least, where your influences lay. Yes. And then I guess a couple of years later, we got up and we we're like, shit, this is everywhere. There's so many, <laughs> there's so many people doing this in the alternative space and in the pop space. It just kind of felt like it was oversaturated. And I felt like everybody was getting sick, sick of us or sick of it. And I think that's why the third record, we were like, well, we want to, we know we need to do something different, but we don't you know, what is that going to be? So we're like, if we have access to these kind of resources and we can go learn from other producers and see different things, then A, we'll learn a lot and B, maybe that gives us a chance of staying afloat in this increasingly competitive genre that everyone's decided they want to do. And, mm -hmm. you know, I don't know, I'm really proud of that record, but I don't know that the, if you can't beat them, join them approach really worked the best creatively like it's what we just mm -hmm. we all agreed on doing and greg carson is so insanely talented we learned so much from him but in terms of my job i don't think that i did the best job because i was like okay well how can and it's a good writing exercise to be like how can we make this more focused and more streamlined and more slick and i wanted to do that so it's not like oh no poor me i had to get an amazing producer to make my record but um <laughs> you know like i think after that we're like okay well that doesn't that you know did it work it's not mm -hmm. not didn't work but it didn't uh the plan it what like didn't necessarily pan out the way we thought it would so i think after that we were like all right well what's the point if everybody else has moved into this neighborhood let's just go somewhere else like let's just do mm -hmm. something else and i think for better or worse 
you can't say that screen violence sounds like anything else that's happening now. You can definitely hear the influences of where it comes from, but I don't feel like there's anybody else that's making another version of that right now. And uh, if they tried, then they'd have to have <laughs> have to have <laughs> enough knowledge of all the things we just talked about. Be like, yeah, but do you know how much do you know about music for a jilted generation? How much do you know about the prodigy? So then we can talk about it. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Uh, it's funny you mentioned the guitar on the new album too, because I thought I heard it, but also I'm, I'm just as a hobbyist, I played guitar all my life. Yeah. And I think when I heard that, I was like, that's my own bias, right? I want to hear guitar in there. <laughs> but I've seen churches live that I don't remember a guitar or very, there's very, yeah. little, very, very little guitar, if any, well, at that point. Yeah. And I think like Ian and Doc are both great guitar players, but Ian especially is a really incredible guitar player and that mm-hmm. hasn't really been anything he's done in the band that much yeah. like, there's been the odd guitar focus moment but we don't really put that much of it on the album so and he did I, he did such a great job on this record like and I think there's definitely a lot of like knowing nods and winks to things that we love like a song called fin- like uh, like Final Girl obviously yeah. we are aware who Johnny Marr is obviously we mm-hmm. know that <laughs> but that's kind of the point you know and it's like taking those things and putting your own spin on it which i guess has always been what our band's about we didn't invent synth pop but it's like how can you take pay homage to your forefathers whilst like pushing it forward and making it your own space so yeah it's been really fun yesterday was the first day of uh rehearsals for the little bits of promo that we have first band rehearsal in two years uh lots of nose nose swabbing and face masks but there was a point in the set where they were both playing guitar at the same time and I turned around and I looked and I was like, wow, that's never, you guys? That's never happened before. <laughs> but yeah, we tried, we've rejigged the live setup a little bit um, just for trying to cut costs, save, save shipping. Cause we were, I was just, we were feeling really guilty about all the shipping and the environmental factors of that. Um, so the, all the fancy pants old synths are off, off stage now. So now mm-hmm. they just have, they'll have one, a MIDI controller each and a guitar and bass each and Doc will have his samples and the rest of the stuff will be behind the scenes. So oh. now they might have to do some dancing and help me out because nah. I've been <laughs> carrying that shit for nine years. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, my memory of the show was you very much front, literally front and center. Yes. I think there were one or two songs where you went behind the keyboards and I'm like trying to, of course. It was yes, like you can't see me, you know. <laughs> Where'd she go? But even then, yeah. I'm like, yeah, they were all, they were walled in with synths and they were just mm-hmm. little floating heads on top of the synths. Right. So, it's... but I think it'll be cool, especially because the album is more, not that it's a rock record, but it's definitely more like rock inspired. So I think it'll be nice for us to be able to play that kind of show. And also it's four records in. People don't, we want to be a consistent live band, but we don't want to be always the same so that there's a reason for people to come to the new shows is to experience the new record in a way that it's meant to be, you know? The one other question I wanted to ask about screen violence is, I apologize if everyone's asked this, but you got to work with Robert Smith. <laughs> yes, yes. Which as, again, my given my age, I was like, oh my God, I can't believe they're working with Robert Smith. And he sounded great, by the way. So For good. someone who's, Right? He's, I'm not going to guess at his age. I'm sure he's quite a bit older than I am. And he still sounds, he sounds like him, right? He sounds, yes. it sounds like you just went, reached into the time machine and pulled him out circa disintegration and just dropped him onto the album. Yeah. So I'm going to assume that at least some of you guys were big Cure fans. But what was the, and you've done this before too. You worked with um, Haley from Paramount. <laughs> That's what you right? say. We on worked the, with Marshmallow. And I was like, I don't know if I would put that in the same category. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Um, but yeah. what, so how did that come about getting 
getting you know, I, I assume one, one of my idols, at mm. least I'm sure one of your one of your musical inspirations on this record. Yes, we are all huge, huge Cure fans and each came to the band differently at different times. But we always always talk about them within churches because basically in my mind, um, sorry, there's my partner turning on the shower. Hopefully you can't hear that. Um, oh, that's okay. okay, okay. There's children running around <laughs> behind me. So it's, it's all it's all gone mad. Um, <laughs> yeah, we always talk about like, for me, Disintegration is basically a perfect record like mm, and the cure have always been able to do walk that line so well where they have these such poppy radio singles but the records are spaces where you can tell stories and you can weave these narratives and it's always feels personal but they've always been so like playful and made space for that kind of escapism and imagery mm-hmm. and yes yeah, so we were all huge fans and martin and myself saw we went to the cure mini festival that they did at rose bowl a few years mm-hmm. ago and mm-hmm. during that we, we'd never met him didn't know anything about like about him other than we were huge fans and we were literally saying at that show holy shit his voice is still so good like, mm-hmm. it, like <laughs> he hasn't changed any of the keys like he doesn't sound in any way messed up and you know i know he's drunk a lot of wine over the course of his life he just by rights his voice <laughs> shouldn't be that beautiful still but it is um but yes the way it came about was such a weird accident i guess which I feel it's very on brand for us. Whenever we've tried, <laughs> if, if we learned anything from the third album, if, if we try and over curate something into happening or we really will like, try and make it happen, it's never going to work. It has to be like this band is kind of a happy accident. So when mm-hmm. good stuff has happened, it's like mm, Hideo Kojima randomly found out about us and now we actually sell records in Japan. Like, you know, things like that. So, yep. yes, our manager had been doing some boring contracts thing i think for death stranding like signing off some stuff with our lawyer and making conversation with him being like what have you been up to what have you been working on and he was like oh well i've been working on some stuff to finalize the new cure record and mm-hmm. campbell our manager also a huge cure fan was like ah could you pass my email on to robert's manager because i'd love to pitch churches as a tour opener or something somewhere down the line just get that connect going as the business yeah. people love to do and then he got an email from Robert Smith, which just said like, hello, Campbell, I hear you're looking for me. What do you want? And I wish I had seen, <laughs> seen Campbell's face when that happened. Right. But then he had to call us and be like, um, I did a thing. And what do you want from your heroes? So yes, but can confirm like genu- a genuine, genuine legend, such a kind, generous dude creatively and otherwise. And yeah, we were like, change everything, do whatever you want. We sent him like five or six songs, I think, and How Not to Drown is the one that he picked. And yep. he didn't want to change the lyrics. He didn't, he just, and I think he took pity on us in a way because definitely what the guitar tracks we'd put in there were very heavily influenced by his style of playing. So he was like, sure. guys, would you like me to play guitar on it as well? And we were like, oh, I mean, if you'd like to. <laughs> so yes, but uh, yeah, such a kind kind dude and holy shit robert smith's on our record what yes yep. <laughs> yeah it's uh it, it I, probably too soon for me to say what my favorite tracks are but i will say that one really popped immediately and he just fits it just dropped right in like i said like it's absolutely perfect the his, his sound his voice and the way that it, the two verses now work i guess they weren't written that way but they work mm. almost like a back and forth yeah and he kind of we didn't know what he was going to do. We did it all over email. And then he sure. sent to sent it back with this kind of re reharmonized second verse. And I was like, oh my God, it's perfect. And when he put in yeah. the harmonies and the choruses, 
I was like, oh my God, I would never have written that harmony, but it's such a cure harmony. Like it's so, mm-hmm. and the only th- the only change we made was we tweaked the second verse lyrics slightly so that it was from his perspective instead of mine. So in the okay. original recording, it's like from, I'm singing it and uh, it's like, that's the first time I knew they were out for blood and they would have my guts. And he says, mm-hmm. they were your guts. And then we were like, yeah. oh, this a little salt sprinkle brought all together. <laughs> yep. Uh, my last question for you is uh, the the more acute listeners probably may have detected that you're Scottish. Mm. So I must <laughs> ask, in your opinion, who's the greatest Scottish band, musician, artist Ooh. of all time? Do you have a favorite? Hmm. Um, Ty. A Ty. Okay. If that's, that's fair. allowed. Ty- it lets you mention more. So oh, I'm, good. I'm in. Um, yes. I guess uh, the Blue Nile. We're all huge fans of the Blue Nile. I don't really know mm-hmm. how big the Blue Nile were in the States, but... Um, Not really. But you know, because you're a studier of these yes. this era of music, <laughs> I sense. But yes, I think the Blue Nile sonically, lyrically, are just in a league of their own. And we've always been hugely inspired by them. And uh, Martin was actually a road tech for the Blue Nile for a hot second there. So. Oh, wow. Yeah. So now when... Uh, he, if he claims he can't set up his own gear, I'll be like, I know you can. You once got paid like, <laughs> paid money to do that. Um, but yes, we love them so much. And I guess anybody listening to this who doesn't know about them, it's like all the bits that you like about the 1975 and that I like about it, and I do love 1975, are mm-hmm. because they also love the Blue Nile. Um, ah, there you go. And the other one I would say is Annie, Annie Lennox. Because ah. I guess technically Eurythmics aren't fully Scottish, but... Uh, yes, Annie Lennox. I think she's from Aberdeen, I think. And okay. uh, yes, her... I did not know that. Ah, there you go. Um, yeah. yeah, her her voice and like, she's got such incredible range. And obviously, mm-hmm. my, my parents were very into the Eurythmics and we listened to a lot of Annie Lennox solo in the house in the 90s. And yeah, her voice and the way that she uses it is as like such an instrument, not just as a narrator. And yep, like she was such a, is such a, 360 performer like all the visuals were so so part of telling the story and pushing those boundaries of what it means to be a female singer and a female entertainer so yes annie for the win um i'm just gonna answer my own question i'm curious if you are at all a fan of my my answer would have been bell and sebastian oh interesting we were talking hmm. their musical range obviously it's over 25 years now right but to go from the boy with the Arab strat, which first song by them I'd ever heard. At least I don't know how it, they may have had music before that. And then all the way through to Girls in Peacetime Want to Dance, which was a pop record in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of electronic sounds they did not associate with them. Uh, Nobody's Empire is absolutely one of my favorite songs by them. And the musical range and his storytelling mm-hmm. within just about all of his songs uh, is just absolutely amazing. He's, you know, I feel like it's often a little trite to say that, you know, oh, he's like a poet and, you know, these lyrics are like poetry. The meter is different. The f- structure is different. His songs work a bit more like that mm-hmm. to me, at least. I know it's all in the interpreting, but they are, um, they've always stood out to me as uh, just one of the greats of, not just of Scottish music, but just of independent music or alternative music, wherever you want to categorize them. And I feel like I didn't realize until we started touring the States how well-known they are in the US. I didn't really mm-hmm. pick up on that. But did you see the film, uh, God Help, no. Help the Girl? Oh, um, I mean, I don't I don't uh, know enough as much as you about Bill and Sebastian, I don't think. But uh, <laughs> yes, you should w- watch that. <laughs> watch that during your COVID isolation and see what you think, Ellipsis, as well as say. Yes. But um. 
it was about right at the beginning of churches. Uh, Stuart Murdoch asked if uh, if I could be in the beginning of it to put on mm-hmm. a, a vinyl record at mm-hmm. the beginning of the thing. Oh, wow. And then we were, to, I think we were touring, so we didn't do it in the end. But uh, I believe it's a musical, which could go either way. It could be amazing or it could be terrible. I'm not sure. Yes. <laughs> I don't know. But, you know, fair fucks to the man. He's trying stuff. He's still being creative and changing changing lanes. So as if yep. it, you seem like a Bill and Sebastian fan, so you should watch it. I don't know. <laughs> oh, I will. Absolutely. I am a fan. I am a fan. Working on converting my wife now. Ah. So she agrees with some of them and some of them. She's like, that's a little too quiet for me. And yes. Like, yeah, it kind of is. It's very close sometimes. The originators of the twee pop, I suppose. Very much so, yes. I feel like we have them to credit and to blame for <laughs> Tweet Pop. Yes, <laughs> yes. Many, many cardigans were purchased because of those records. <laughs> My guest today has been the wonderful Lauren Mayberry of Churches. Their new album, Screen Violence, will be out on August 27th. They will be coming to the United States for a tour of live music is back again. They will be here in Philadelphia on December 3rd at the Fillmore. I have already purchased my tickets. Lauren, thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, thank you very much for having me, man. That's all for this week's show. Thank you so much for listening. Please check out that new church's album, Screen Violence. It will be available everywhere, including streaming services this Friday. I particularly recommend How Not to Drown, the song I mentioned there with Robert Smith, Good Girls, another one of my favorites from the album. It's pretty strong start to finish. I say this every week. Please get vaccinated if you haven't done so. Your choices affect the health and lives of everyone around you. We still have plenty of children. I have two in this house who are too young to be vaccinated, but they can still catch COVID-19. They can still get very sick. And we are seeing increased numbers of children hospitalized across the country with severe cases of COVID-19. We are even seeing more pediatric deaths. These are preventable, but we all have to do our part. That means getting vaccinated. That means wearing masks. That means pushing back against laws or executive orders that ban mask mandates, as a friend of ours did in Florida, in Hillsborough County. And they are currently suing the governor to try to overturn his executive order banning mask mandates. This is a matter of public health. This is not a matter of politics. And all I want is to see as many people survive this pandemic as possible. So please, if you haven't gotten vaccinated yet, Go do so. If you still have reasons you're hesitating, you know where to find me on Twitter at Keith Law, on Facebook at Keith Law Writer. You can reach out to me through my blog, meadowparty.com slash blog. I am more than happy to answer questions. If it helps one more person choose to get vaccinated, I will consider it time well spent. Thanks so much for listening. Please stay safe.